Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. Its faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing environment. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Philip Elliott. He's Washington correspondent for Time. Before joining Time in 2015, Phil spent nearly a decade with the Associated Press, where he covered politics, numerous campaigns, campaign finance, education, and the White House. We've talked with Phil before on Spectrum about the Trump White House and its chaos. Today, however, we'll talk with him about the ongoing Trump-Russia investigations and the White House and congressional reaction. Phil, you and I are talking at about 11 a.m. on Tuesday, October 31st, and I want to preface that because things seem to change by the hour, or at least have the potential of changing. Yesterday, we had... Uh, Two indictments come out, the 12-count indictment against Paul Manafort and a 12-count indictment against Rick Gage. We also had a plea agreement that was released showing a guilty plea of George Papadopoulos to a count of lying to the FBI. But the importance of that probably is that he was arrested in July cooperated with the FBI in the Mueller investigation until entering a guilty plea on October 5th. All that went on yesterday. The indictments with Manafort and his deputy, uh, that went on first. And the White House, uh, through President Trump, uh, tweeted out that hey, this was all pre-campaign, obviously no collusion, wash my hands of the whole thing, I'm home free. And then moments later, um, the uh, seal was taken off, the Papadopoulos guilty plea, and Papadopoulos, a advisor to the campaign, brought the Russian conversation with the Trump campaign right back to the White House. Do I have it accurate? <laughs> you do have it accurate. It is. It has been a remarkable 24 hours here in Washington, and it really is either it's the end of the beginning of this investigation or it's the beginning of the end. And we're not really sure which it is at this point, that this is the first sign that Bob Mueller, who's just a stand-up guy by all accounts, a career professional not really known to have a political agenda, stepped forward and said, you know what, we're ready to start this. We have enough to go forward with this, especially against the Manafort and Rick Gates. 
What's remarkable is that Manafort had his home, one of his homes, raided in the middle of the night earlier this year. They carted out a ton of material, just kind of contrad. And the the indictment lays out the government side of this, that there was just so much um, that Manafort kept at his home that contradicted his statements to investigators, that there were just, for instance, one of the Manafort agencies that he runs domestically said, we only keep our emails for 30 days. Anything you want, we don't have. Well, it turns out it's on, Manafort (laughs) still had those records at his house, just waiting to be found by the feds. It was really a remarkable either arrogance or incompetence of what we were seeing there. Um, That that was one bucket. Uh, The other bucket was that this other individual, George Papadopoulos, has been working with the feds since the summer. He agreed to the investigators' series of facts stipulated to them, and then went about working with the investigators for months. And we have no idea yet what exactly Mr. Papadopoulos was able to deliver to the investigators. Also, he signed this on October 5th. We only found out about it on October 30th. So for all of the president's complaints about the leaks in the deep state, the fact that this was kept secret for as long as it was is truly remarkable and a sign that Mueller is 5, 10, 20 steps ahead of everyone around him. It's amazing that the arrest took place in a public place, Dulles Airport, <laughs> without Not any, exactly a backwater. Right, without anybody knowing. And, and then uh, the, quote, proactive cooperation, end quote, which some of my friends in the, the federal bureaucracy say is code for doing anything, wearing a wire, <laughs> you know, yeah. going undercover, uh, really doing more than just talking. Right. I mean, that that is code for trying to save your butt by any means necessary. Right. It almost looks purposeful, and, and uh, prosecutors are, are giving Mueller right now an, an A+. You come out with the public indictments, the president comes out with this tweet, no collusion, all before the campaign, which isn't necessarily true, but then right away comes out with this Papadopoulos thing that puts it right back in the campaign. If it was strategy, it was brilliant. It was. And this is what has a lot of the White House officials very worried, is that Mueller teased this up and the pre- with the indictment, and the president can't help but swing. He takes the bait, and then the Papadopoulos agreement is right there as a rejoinder almost immediately. Mueller understands what the president's going to do perhaps better than the president understands himself. And that is a very distinct advantage for a prosecutor. I don't need to tell you this, Tom. You understand the law. You understand the courts. You've seen this as a judge. This is a remarkable... Uh, just a, it's almost like a cat and mouse game that Mueller is doing. And the president, meanwhile, is up in the residence, takes him forever to get to the office yesterday because he's watching cable television and seething, screaming, fuming. There's no shortage of descriptors, but universally people were hiding from the president in the West Wing yesterday, trying not to run into him in the hallways because they just don't know what he's going to do. It's a remarkable moment. And we get a little bit of the insight through his Twitter feed and through aides uh, who work for him, it's almost, you have to imagine what would 
Nixon have been like had he had Twitter. And I think we have a bit of a scene, <laughs> um, not just only from the Twitter, but also the people the president has in his White House who want to work for the president, not necessarily this president. And they are leaking like at no other point. And that is saying something in this administration. Well, you've got the administration leaking like a, a proverbial sieve and, and Mueller's operation not leaking at all. And some observers have looked at the um, docket. You can look at the, the federal docket. And between October 5th and yesterday, October 30th, uh, there are four other sealed indictments. Now, that doesn't mean that they are related to this. Uh, feds seal indictments all the time. But that's got to put some additional worry in the White House. When are those going to be unveiled and who are they about? That is precisely that. That You talk to people inside the White House counsel's office or White House counsel's friends, former law partners here in Washington, and they just don't know what's coming. And that level of uncertainty is what animates so much of the conversation at this hour in Washington, that something is happening. Something is, a series of events has been set in motion. And it was set in motion back last year when Paul Manafort joined the, joined the Trump campaign. We don't know where the dominoes are falling. We don't know who has turned, who has, who has cooperated, the proactive cooperation agreements. We don't know if perhaps, for instance, we still haven't heard about Carter Page, this other foreign policy advisor, um, who just last night was on MSNBC. Oh, it was a bizarre <laughs> interview. Bizarre interview. You know, I don't know what who adv is advising Carter Page on this at all. But if, if everyone around you is either getting indicted or proactively cooperating in a federal investigation involving the Russians, maybe you might not want to go on MSNBC. Um, that said, if he would like to return, and if he's listening, and he would like to return any of my text messages, I stand by <laughs> ready to have that conversation uh, to follow up. But I mean, you have not just Carter Page. You have Mike Flynn, who had to be who had to resign from the White House as National Security Advisor. His son, uh, Mike Flynn Jr., the consulting firm that they ran together. Um, you have all of these um, tentacles that seem to be spreading out from Trump Tower, trying to figure out just who who is talking to whom, who might be vulnerable to help Mueller investigation. Who is most? Um, who has the most to gain from turning on Mr. Trump? And and really, who is going to end up being the fall guy? Who's going to be the patsy when this all? Um, when we get as much information as Bob Mueller is going to get? It seems the White House um, officially, uh, through the Twitter feed and through uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, they have three tactics. One is to distance themselves from Manafort. One is to uh, the the Trump tweet this morning uh, calling a young, low-level volunteer named George, who already has been proven a liar, uh, <laughs> to minimize uh, George Papadopoulos uh, in, in this. That's strategy number two. And then strategy number three is whenever possible, throw out the red meat to the base, which is mentioning Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. 
Yeah, going. Um, I'll go take those in reverse order, and okay. each one of them is has huge problems. Um, just based on fact alone, not necessary, not even dealing with the politics of it. Hillary Clinton is not in public life anymore. Right. I mean, first of all, she lost the 2016 election. No one disputes that. Yes, she got three million more votes than Donald Trump. She didn't get him in the right places. She didn't get him in Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio. End of story. She's private citizen again. She's out there selling her book, which is a pretty good book as far as political memoirs go. By trying to fire up the president's base against Hillary Clinton, that works for about 30% of the country. The other 70% wants to know, is the man in the White House actively, is he there because of the Russians? And we don't have an answer to that yet. There are a number of investigations, not just Bob Mueller, but in the House, in the Senate. There's a subcommittee having a hearing uh, this afternoon dealing with what social media did uh, to influence this campaign, perhaps at the behest of Russians or on their payroll. There are a lot of unknowns. Now we're coming up a year after the election. We don't really know what happened. Um, We do know Hillary Clinton lost. Hillary Clinton is a good boogeyman. Hillary Clinton forever shall be a very good boogeyman for Republicans, much the way George Bush was for Democrats. At some point, though, you have to you have to start writing a proactive message on who is in the White House, what are they doing and what are they doing to make your life better? That is problem one. The George Papadopoulos thing. Donald Trump prides himself on only hiring the best people. He repeatedly says, I hire the best. I surround myself with the smartest. I went to a very good school. I had the best vocabulary. All of the words, I can do empathy better than anyone. Best memory in history. Mem- yeah, exactly. We, we, can, we can, you know, history is the memories we choose to memorialize. <laughs> um, the, the, the Papadopoulos thing is he, he's trying to downplay this guy as just some guy who got coffee. Well, no camp. Katie Packer Gage, a good source of mine who ran the Romney campaign, put it very concisely. She has never sat a nominee for president with senior foreign policy advisors with a guy who just got coffee. The president himself, as a candidate, posted photos of him at strategy sessions with George Papadopoulos. George Papadopoulos is interfacing with senior members of the campaign. He admits, to, he, he acknowledges, he says he did this in his. Uh, court filing with people whose names are redacted, but it doesn't take a large imagination to start saying that this was Manafort. This was Lewandowski, who was the campaign manager at the time, Jared Kushner. There, There's clearly, he's not freelancing here. He's been empowered by the campaign to start reaching out to Russia, trying to set up perhaps a, a, a visit from Canada, Trump to Moscow in the middle of this election. This And this is all backed up by emails that the feds have. This is remarkable that they're just trying to call this guy some guy named George. That said, this some guy named George probably should not have been at the same table as a nominee for right. pre- the major party nominee. Right. Um, we went back at Time Magazine, available on time.com, plugging our brand, um, and talked to people who worked with Papadopoulos when he worked for Ben Carson's campaign. And Papadopoulos, who is now 30 years old, um, very young on the spectrum of foreign policy hands, just basically showed up at Carson headquarters and says, I want to help you. Here's my resume. And the Carson campaign said, we really don't have anyone banging down our doors to help advise us on this stuff. Sure. No one really remembers any meaningful contribution he did, but he was still able to say he was a foreign policy advisor to Ben Carson. 
who you will remember at one point was ahead in the polls. He then used that to parlay his way into the Trump campaign. And it's not that he was promoting himself on a LinkedIn page. The president of the United States, as a candidate, when confronted by the Washington Post editorial board, asking him, okay, who are you listening to on foreign policy? Because nothing you're doing is making sense. The president voluntarily named Papadopoulos as one of his former, uh, as one of his foreign policy advisors. The president walked into this. I think he named five, and Carter Page and Papadopoulos were two of the five. Again, you shouldn't be picking a national security cabinet, national security council, a war cabinet, based on a what shows up in your first page of Google results. This is just campaign 101. And then finally, Manafort trying to say that this guy is just some guy who came in for five months, a very brief time. That's simply not true. Paul Manafort owns a condo in Trump Tower. He has known the president since the 70s or 80s. Manafort worked for the president in the 80s and 90s. One of his firm's first jobs working for the Trump organization was trying to get Atlantic City to have a deeper dock so the Trump organization could dock a yacht in Atlantic City for promotional purposes. These guys go back years. They know each other. This was not some random guy who came in off the street to manage a party in Cleveland. Um, As much as the president wants to say that, and shouted, you, I mean, you can do this in all caps on Twitter if you want. That doesn't make it true. But the president's instincts are just to bluff his way out of these problems. Bob Mueller is not one to be taken um, or influenced by tweets. And certainly, grand jury was not going to buy that. And if, if, this, if, these, if this indictment against Manafort and Gates goes to trial... No amount of social media is going to save the president uh, and be able to reshape the facts as the president wants to see. Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country. It offers a foundation of creativity and practice so that graduates can move the world forward. In particular, the Scripps College offers challenging coursework that holds students to high expectations, an integrated curriculum that combines a variety of disciplines and ideas, and student-driven media organizations where students can apply these skills and gain experience that enables them to hit the ground running upon graduation. That's the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Phil, you had a great piece uh, on Time.com yesterday, uh, October 30th, uh, Philip Elliott, how Donald Trump hired and fired Paul Manafort. Uh, it, it really goes in depth in what you're talking about. Thank you. It's it's It was fun to call through these people who've known these guys for years. Um, and Paul Manafort, as much as everyone wants to say he's the shadowy figure and works for kind of shady figures around the world we all know him like he he uh for a long for decades was one of the party's most one of the republican party's most skilled fixers if you think of olivia pope 
give Olivia Pope 30 years of experience in Washington, you have Paul Manafort, that this was a guy that when you get in trouble, you call him. One of his partners was Roger Stone, who's a very colorful individual, certainly has a social media footprint until Twitter kicked him off um, this weekend. Another one of his partners, Rick Davis. Rick Davis was the campaign manager for John McCain's 2000 and 2008 campaign. That these are guys that are just very well known throughout Washington. Another one of their partners is Charlie Black. Charlie Black was on the Straight Talk Express with John McCain in 2008 almost every day. Uh, reporters who were on the bus with him, we, we jokingly referred to him as the Black Hand of Death because he had <laughs> so many just interesting clients. It's like, oh, there's a coup in Country Y and Charlie Black is heading up the media operation for it. This is just, it, it, we, it was a novel thing, but it, it became a problem for John McCain when Charlie Black was making calls for lobbying clients while on the bus with the Republican nominee for president. Um, Charlie ended up stepping down from the lobbying practice then. But, I mean, Paul Manafort is a guy we all know. He, he's one of these larger-than-life figures who, according to this indictment, has quite wonderful taste in for international rugs, Land Rovers, um, expensive cars. There's a Benz that a foreign government bought him in here. Tens of thousands of dollars in landscaping, hundreds of thousands of dollars in clothes. Um, he's an interesting character. Um, it's it's only seemed natural. It seemed like a decent fit that he and Donald Trump would wind up together in this. Um, that said, his his stay in the Trump orbit was short lived as these headlines, as reporters who've known kind of what Paul Manafort's about, uh, started saying, is this what the Trump campaign is about? And eventually the headlines became too much um, for the Trump campaign, the Trump organization to weather. There's actually a great story in my friend um, Josh Green's book about Steve Bannon. Um, I, w I have to credit him for this, that everything came to a head one morning uh, with Jared Kushner and the pre he was Jared Kushner is the president's son-in-law and Paul Manafort saying it's time for you to go. And Manafort tried to save his job. And according to Josh Green uh, in his account of this, Jared Kushner just said the, the press release is going out in 30 seconds that you're gone from the campaign. <laughs> this is a courtesy and not a negotiation. You're done here. Um, the problem there is when you cut it's it's mob mob politics 101. Right. Once you cut someone out of the family. There is no loyalty there to protect him. And that is really what has a lot of Trump insiders most concerned. That, yes, Paul Manafort, according to this indictment, is he, he faces some very serious charges. But the president is right that most of this dates before 2017. So, some of it goes into 2017 for sure. But none of this indictment deals with his conduct directly related to the Trump campaign. Right. We have yet to see what we what Bob Mueller knows about that time. One more question before we move up Pennsylvania Avenue to the Hill. And and that is the White House keeps saying Mueller's going to wrap up soon. He's going to wrap up soon. He's going to wrap up soon. Now, obviously, this looks like it's the, <laughs> the beginning of a long process. This wrapping up soon, is that code for we're going to terminate him? I don't know. I don't think so. The, the the people I speak to inside the White House and those close to the president, 
seem to think that they have convinced the president that firing Bob Mueller would be catastrophic and presidency ending. They think they have adequately communicated this to the president. They, they went to bed last night thinking Bob Mueller will live to fight another day. That said, there's, I have not spent, I've been busy calling sources and I, I don't know what Fox News has been telling the president is <laughs> possible. And really, so much of what the president is responding to has been cable news. Right. Um, he does consume a steady diet of um, particularly Fox News. Um, he, he says he doesn't watch CNN, but you can time some of his tweets to what segments are on CNN. And is, he kind of hate watches MSNBC. Um, that really, when we had when we had dinner with the president um, earlier this year, he was very proud of the new TVs he had installed and the TiVos he had set up, so he could tee. <laughs> and he had clips teed up in his private office off the Oval Office about cable news segments, saying how great he was doing, and he had them kind of like bookmarked on his TiVo, <laughs> so he could show people what a great job he was doing. This is he truly is a connoisseur of cable news. It's not clear if that is going to help his legal defense or just doom it. I know, I know the joke among one of the junior staffers in the West wing was that maybe just maybe could we have one day where the cable went out? <laughs> right? <laughs> could you imagine how much could get done for this country? If the president focused on policy and the people coming in and just set aside the technology for a day and have him focus on, oh, my God, you are the president of the United States with all of the power. You could accomplish so much in a day for good or ill, but you could get so much done if you didn't care what cable news was saying about what you did yesterday. But it may be the situation when I try to go off the off the grid uh, for for a few hours or a day, I have such anxiety <laughs> that I can get nothing done. Maybe that would be the case in that situation as well. This is why when I travel internationally, I intentionally do not get an international plan on my good, phone. Good, it forces it forces a sequester. Good for you. Mental health break. Yes. Let's move to to Congress. We had Paul Ryan yesterday saying this is not going to derail what we're doing in Congress which uh, a cynic would say, well, they're doing nothing, so what? what's this going to derail? But he obviously was obtuse in his response. Uh, Senator Grassley, the, the, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, said uh, we're going to let special counsel do his job. Uh, Schumer is, is out there trying to get uh, legislation to protect Mueller. Uh, talk about the congressional response or non-response? Well, it, it really breaks down on party lines here. And that is a very, if you care about institutions of American democracy, it's very disturbing that the, the defense of checks and balances, separation of powers, really is falling on whether you have a D or an R after your name. So, that this whole notion that Republicans are willing to look the other way on this, pretend it's not happening because they want tax cuts, that's not an oversimplification. That you talk to rank and file members in the House, you talk to senators in the hallway, and especially Republican senators, Republican House members, they don't really care. 
They want to have something that they can run for re-election on next year. The entire House and a third of the Senate faces voters. And if, you, if you're in, a, in one of those 24, 28 districts in the House that Hillary Clinton won and elected a Republican House member, you are just freaking out here that this is all, you come from a district that already does not like President Trump, but they like you. You have not delivered on anything yet this year. Yes, the president is very proud of Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. You, Neil Gorsuch could stand in front of any voter in America at a Starbucks, and no one would know who he is. Right. That has not tangibly impacted anyone in this country yet. It will for a generation to come, but the court has not yet affected anyone's life. Tax cuts, however, are something that they could run on. Tax cuts, you can put a billion dollars worth of television ads, radio ads, direct mail, robocalls, Facebook ads, Twitter bots. You can make people think that the members of Congress are fighting to keep more of your cash in your pocket. That's a winner for heading into the, real, the, the president's uh, midterm elections here next year. You can't run on that if you don't get it done. You don't get it done if you're constantly trying to fight the White House. So for a lot of Republicans, self-preservation is the coin of the realm, and they are going to go along and give, try to give some form of tax cut, tax break, tax code rewrite. However we want to frame this rhetorically, they want to have something that they can promise. Democrats, on the other hand, are saying, this is just absurd, that why in the world are we doing tax cuts on the middle class? Why are we giving tax cuts to the rich? Why are we giving tax cuts to the poor? Why are we talking about tax cuts at all when economists across the spectrum say the tax cuts are going to cost more than they're worth? You, you take a look at a, lot of one, a couple of the projections, and we don't have specifics yet, but a lot of the, even the center-right economists are saying, we're going to run up so much red ink to give these, what are relatively small tax cuts to rank-and-file Americans, that the debt service on the interest that we're going to have on this, we're going to borrow, we're going to borrow so much money to pay for these tax cuts, their economic impact is going to be smaller than the interest we're going to pay to pay off these tax cuts. This is just bad policy all around. Separately, the Democrats are saying, this is also just bad politics. Why are we giving the president, who has a, a historically low approval rating, a victory heading into the midterms? The Senate map does not favor Democrats by any stretch right now, but they, you know, wave elections, we really don't know until September of an election year. A lot can happen in the next year. They want to lay the groundwork and lay the trap in case something fundamentally um, were to change. In the House, you only need to flip 24 districts. Again, Hillary Clinton won roughly those that number of districts where Republicans also prevailed. That, that also said the Republican brand is not particularly strong at the moment, and there's something to be said for just playing the pure craven game of politics. What one needs to point out to our listeners that obviously a turn in the House of Representatives to a majority Democrats would uh, put the president in more peril for possible impeachment than, than he is today. That is true. That said, a lot of the smart strategists in the Democratic Party 
are being very careful not to use the I word when it comes to the promise of a Democratic majority in the House or Senate. Right. That they don't want to promise more than they can deliver. That they, they saw what happened with the Republicans saying, oh, if you only give us the House and the Senate, we'll do this. Well, now you have to give us the presidency. Well, what about the court? That it, 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 nothing is this simple uh, when it comes to if this, then that um, formulas. Can, also combined with that, a lot of very responsible members of the Democratic Party, and it's important to emphasize responsible here, are saying we will only move forward with impeachment if there is evidence, if we have proof, if it is in the national interest. Right, right now, liking the and as ever sh- was and ever shall be, we hope not liking the president is not grounds for impeachment. You have to show high crimes and misdemeanors, and at this point, the burden has not definitively been met. A lot of Democrats are very nervous when you have some of their rank and file, their grassroots, their activists, stand up saying, um, impeach the, the scoff law already, uh, right. goes one one t-shirt that is very popular on sale that Dan Savage is selling on his website. Um, scoff law is not the epithet being used, of course. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but it, there's a lot of demand and a lot of energy that has animated the grassroots volunteers, the people who knock on doors, make phone calls, write the $20 checks to the party that the party desperately needs. Um, it, promising them something is not good long-term. Refusing to promise them something is bad for short-term energy. Really, the folks like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are walking a very delicate line here, trying to balance the pragmatism of uh, uh, an Amy Klobuchar, a senator from the Midwest, um, the the Jared Brown, who's not there for, for our friends in Ohio, with the folks like Maxine Waters out in California, de- declaring that the, the guy really just needs belongs in a jail cell, that this is not as cut and dry at this point as we would like it to be. Phil, I know you have to get back to work, but one last question, and that is for our listeners, what should they be looking for next? Uh, if you could project, what what should they, I know you can't predict exactly what's going to happen, but what areas should they be looking for? Well, there's an interesting um, debate raging over the responsibilities of social media companies. Do they have, should they be taking um, Russian troll armies, uh, bot armies, bot farms, troll farms, whatever you want to call them? Should, should we, should foreign intelligence services or political firms directly working for foreign governments be allowed to buy highly targeted and very effective Facebook and social media ads to influence elections? Should there be anonymous um, Facebook ads? Should there be some sort of disclosure on these social media um, advertisements? At this point, there are not. Social media is the Wild West campaign expenditures and there's really nothing regulating them. Um, is, is this closing in on the White House um, in terms of the Mueller investigation? Already we've seen um, Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, has met with um, Bob Mueller. Sean Spicer, the former press secretary. Reince Priebus, the former chief of staff. They've all met with Bob Mueller 
and turned over um, their memories. In Spicer's case, um, Spicer took copious notes. Um, the email records in the White House, uh, text messages, um, messages from the campaign, all of this is fair game. And it's it, the e in email stands for evidence in this case. One, one pretty smart person <laughs> likes to remind me. And that this, this really could be narrowing in on the president or those close to him. And at that point, how does the president respond? If one of his own, if his, if the father of his grandchildren is at risk, that is an entirely different proposition than the guy who bought a three $3.7 million condo in Trump tower. Right. If his, if his prince, if his, his daughter Ivanka, whom he worships as a princess, if her husband is, gets in trouble, how does the president lash out? Does he lash out at Mueller? Does he lash out at the special prosecutor? Does he refuse to cooperate? Does he start firing people? Does he, there really is, uh, even during Watergate, as things started closing in on Richard Nixon, it, 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 it was Republicans who sat the president down and told him, you don't have the backing of your party anymore. And that spelled the end. And the pre President Nixon, for all of his flaws, still understood the, the gravity of the situation, the importance of institutions. Donald Trump wasn't really a Republican until he started this. He gave money to Democratic causes. He wrote checks to Hillary Clinton, to Chuck Schumer, to Nancy Pelosi. Um, his loyalty is not to party. It is not to institutions. This was a man, this was his first campaign for office. He doesn't have, he is not beholden to institutions of government in the way others have been. And in that, we are in very uncertain territories. Um, if your concern is not just this presidency, not just this president, but what does this do for those who come after it? And that is, that is an issue that a lot of um, observers, a lot of people on the inside um, who've served in multiple administrations, they are very worried what this means for American democracy. And that is precisely what the Russians wanted when they started getting involved in the campaign. And they are still involved. And many, many people say um, they are still winning. Philip Elliott, time.com. Go to time.com, read his work. Uh, the most recent one, October 30th, how Donald Trump hired and fired Paul Manafort. I'm sure there will be many more coming this week. Phil, you're a busy man. Thank you so much for taking your time and, and talking with us. Thanks, Tom. Today, we've been talking with Time Washington correspondent Phil Elliott about the latest Washington reactions to Special Prosecutor Mueller's activities. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please go to Apple Podcasts and rate our podcast or review it. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts, you can direct them to me by email at hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. 
That's hudson at ohio.edu.